when you start playing on the very top, many of the things has to be the way that it's under your skin. It's in your blood. Many things has to be just come so naturally. So to be able to build up the next level and the next level and the next level. Judith Polgar is one of the greatest chess players of all time and the greatest female chess player of all time by some distance. She is one of three sisters raised as chess players from an early age. The Polgars were three quarters of the Hungarian team which won the women's event at the 1988 and 1990 chess Olympiads. Judith was the youngest and the best of them. She was awarded the title of Grandmaster at the age of 15, at the time the youngest ever, and at her peak was ranked 8th best player in the world. I'm Andrew Muller and I spoke to Judith Polgar on The Big Interview. Judith Polgar, welcome to The Big Interview. First of all, let's talk about this event that is happening this weekend, Judith Polgar versus the world. How is that going to work? Well, it's going to be a very unique event. It's the first global interactive community chess simul, which means that I'm going to be playing against communities. I'm going to be located in Dubai at the Hungarian Pavilion, mm -hmm. and it's going to set up as a studio. There is going to be 11 chessboards, specific chessboards, which is electronically, remotely connected to the online platforms. So all my opponents who are communities like Boda Sisters, Agadmeter, Samai, and others, they have their own communities. They are going to have connected to their communities in their channels, Twitch and YouTube and whatever. So each move they are going to be discussing or almost every move. So the, the streamer, the influencer, they are mostly chess players, sometimes mm. even much better chess players than they should be but they're going to be discussing with their audience what to, which move to make. Should we make this move or that move? How should we react in Judith's play and so on? So that's how they're going to be deciding the move. And I'm going to be in Dubai making in every board the my moves. So you're going to be effectively playing 11 games at once against a presumably quite vast number of people. Exactly, exactly. As you brace for an event like that, are you still at a point where you're quite competitive about the result? Will you be upset if you don't win all 11 games? Oh, not at all. Uh, actually, one of the boards is going to be dedicated to the world. Whoever is not connected to any of the boards by the influencers, on our website, the specifically designed website for this event, Anybody can make their own move on one board and which move is going to be played and suggested the most number is going to be played eventually against me. I'm taking this journey as a, as a great show, as a great connection to the people, to the chess community and further uh, beyond and, and outreaching, not necessarily only the chess community. I hope that we can show that uh, chess can be very entertainment. It's going to be like uh, five, six, seven hours uh, fun, hopefully. I definitely don't focus primarily that I should win all the game. And there is very good chance that I may lose a game or two <laughs> or draw. You don't know what can happen. I retired from competitive chess seven years ago. So... I don't know what shape I'm going to be, but for sure I'm going to be very much hyped up and I will enjoy it a lot. 
One of the things we wanted to talk to you about today was what it takes to get to the point of being as good as you got and to the point where still seven years after you retired from top-level chess, you're a reasonable chance to take on the whole world and win. If we go back to the very, very start, it's famously the case that your, your father decided that he was going to raise his children as chess champions. And I don't know whether you got ever a, a solid answer to the question of could he have succeeded with any three children he had or did he just get incredibly unconscionably lucky with you and your two sisters i'm also thinking uh, a lot about that uh, obviously he believes that it could be any three children mm. in the world and he would reach the same I can't say for sure that it's yes, but I know one thing that uh, my parents were so dedicated. They were so committed to do this. They are both teachers. So they are actually were practicing their work. Mm. So they, they were really focusing on how to get the maximum out of their knowledge to implement it into our education. And uh, also, I'm sure that uh, the amount of hours and days and weeks and months and years we put into chess, I believe that it would work also with others. That uh, commitment, what my parents had, and uh, the incredible uh, teacher-pedagogue attitude they mm. have, the way they taught us, whatever it was. Of course, later on, it was... They were not our chess teachers. We had chess coaches and so on. Uh, I'm sure that, that other people would be also extremely successful. How successful, how far they would go, that's another story. But that already depends on many things. This is what interests me with a lot of sporting pursuits. And I, th I think you've always been quite punctilious in referring to chess as a sport. I can see that it is very physically and psychologically demanding. Like, I think it's probably the case that most people could be better at a particular thing if they worked really hard on it and studied it and put those kind of hours into it. But not everybody is going to end up, for example, being the eighth ranked player in the world at the thing they do. Is there part of it, do you think, that you basically just have to be born with, even if it is just the thing that separates the absolute elite from the merely very good? To tell you the truth, I'm not even wondering too much about that part. I believe that whoever, uh, everybody generally, should hmm. be aiming to get the maximum out of themselves, no matter from where you start. It's just the journey itself, I think it's very important that if I was on this strength yesterday, I try to be better tomorrow and try to learn every day something new. In my journey, it was chess and I was growing up in a family where it was a focus on this sport, but it was because my sisters were playing already and it was a very natural continuation. So for me, it's always a big dilemma what to say about talent, who is talented, who is not. I mean, generally speaking, kids are talented. They are free in their mind. They, they are ready to seek in all the information, what interests them, right? So if you have a good mentor, you have good parents who give you the opportunity, I think every kid can really reach very and be happy. Whether it's going to be the very top of your sport or your profession, that depends on many different things on the way.
But within your sport, is it possible to explain or quantify what the difference is between, say, a world number eight and a world number 800 or so? I'd be like, the 800th best player in the world is clearly astoundingly good. Can you explain why there's 792 rungs between them? Well, for example, to start with, if you look at the top players, the very top players, the top 20, let's say, most likely you're not going to be really find anybody who started to play chess later than age eight. Mm -hmm. So first of all, it is extremely important that you start chess at a very early age, whether it's five, six or seven, but really in a, in a childhood age. And it is, it is important because it's like languages. If you start when you're very little, you're not going to have pronunciation, things you, you can really speak it very well, almost as your mother tongue language, right? Mm -hmm. And it also goes the same thing for chess, because when you start playing on the very top, many of the things has to be the way that it's under your skin. It's in your blood. Many things has to be just come so naturally Mm. So to be able to build up the next level and the next level and the next level. I mean, as you say, you started early and your sisters had already started. During that period when the three of you were coming up and were putting all those hours into studying it, did it always seem like fun? Was there ever a point at which one or more of you decided, I don't really want to do this? Well, we grew up in a very special environment mm. because, first of all, you have to understand that we grew up in, in very solid uh, conditions. We were living in a very small apartment, not in a very good district. Uh, it was a miracle to travel in those days, in the late 70s, in the 80s. It was something exceptionally fantastic. So those things were uh, very tempting to work for, right? And in my case, I started to, to have serious results at a very young age. I made my first international success when I was nine at New York Open. And what else do you need more than success <laughs> to push you forward and to enjoy it, right? It, whether you're a kid or you're an adult, it doesn't matter. It just pushes you forward and you're even, you, you want to do it more and more because you want to have the feeling of winning. But at the same time, of course, there were uh, difficult and very challenging moments when some games didn't work out, some tournaments didn't work out, and you feel for half a year, something like that, that in points, you don't raise your points, you don't feel that you, you can improve or you're improving, even though you put the same amount of energy day after day. But I was too professional already at the age of, as a teenage years, 14, 15, I was number one in the world. So I knew already that it's my profession. It's not something that, whether is it going to be my life and my profession or no. I mean, I was very young when I knew it, that that's my life. And I also understood it that's part of the game when you have difficulties, uh, you just have to come uh, over them. You were saying earlier that chess gave you and your sisters opportunities to travel, which were obviously denied to most Hungarians at the time. But did you always enjoy it? Did, was there any sense of feeling under any pressure to represent Hungary abroad, or I guess especially in the context of the Cold War, uh, to, to represent Hungary's then go governing ideology abroad? Well, we were away from politics. Mm. We did have uh, difficulties, which was uh, affected us, like the government were not necessarily always very supportive on uh, 
having us uh, homeschooled, for example, and also the Hungarian Chess Federation was not supportive at all that my parents are raising me and my sisters playing in the open section. So the communist authorities actually worried that you were operating outside their system and therefore weren't an advertisement for it? Yeah, they thought that, okay, we have enough good uh, chess players between men, you should be playing between women. So what? why do you want to be different than others? I mean, in those times, obviously, it was very clear that if you want to think differently than the schablon and the, the patterns, then it, that's not a good idea because they are going to be opposing that. So this was very difficult. But at the same time, uh, still, we could travel. We had many problems, but it was fantastic for us to travel and focus on chess and see the world. It did not really make difficulties the fact uh, that we were Hungarians. It was difficult to travel sometimes, Mm. and, and there were different challenges for us. But when we were already out in the tournaments, it was okay. Did you always enjoy the attention that came with it, though? There was probably a point for a lot of the 1980s, especially when you must have been one of the most famous Hungarians in the world. Oh, no. When I was a kid, I didn't like it at all. I I was not happy giving interviews. I was quite shy and uh, it was not a fun uh, thing for me at all. And uh, even at one point when uh, we started to become quite famous and known abroad also, we had a contract with a company. We were going to Germany like every month, big press conference all the time. Even at one point, I was just, after that, I was crying because I just couldn't stand the, the, the pressure that they wanted to put on me. I mean, I was just 13 and then, you know, every month there's a huge press conference. People are asking questions and questioning you and your parents, why, how, what's going on with you, and you're not going to be a normal human being because you're homeschooled and you're focusing on chess. But I had to learn to deal with this, and my sisters were a great help, and of course my parents were a huge help on that. But there were very difficult moments for me from the media and uh, how they treated and commented the way I was growing up. How possible is it when you are, I think, if I've done the maths right, in your early teens and and President George H.W. Bush visits Budapest in 1989 and you're kind of brought forward as a representative of the Hungarian nation, what's going on in a 13-year-old's head at a moment like that? It was exciting. It was something very cool that, wow, it's so interesting. And, you know, you go to the residence and... And you see that something very special, very unique uh, thing is happening. So we understood that by winning the Olympiad in the ladies section, Mm. that made a huge milestone in our career, even though our goal was to play in the absolute category. But of course, this was understood for us and for everybody that it was such a a, a main uh, moment in our life and also in my parents' life that in Hungary also suddenly everybody looked at us as heroes, that a teenage team representing Hungary together with my sisters and one other girl, uh, we made history with that because before that for I think nearly 30 years it was Soviet Union who was keeping the gold medal. So that was something very big in Hungary. And this was the consequences that we started to meet with very special VIP and and big people from around the world. 
I mean, this, this is that moment. And I think, if I recall rightly, that Hungarian team won the women's event at the Chess Olympiad twice with a, a, a team of which three quarters had the surname Polgar. What do you think now, though, about men and women's chess being separate things? You, you never played for the women's title, though I think it's a reasonable assumption that it could have been yours for the taking. Uh, do you think the two should be separated still? This is a huge debate all the mm. time. Unfortunately, there is a huge tradition to that, that it's a separate men and women section or more open and women section. The problem is, I think, comes from the education, from the expectations, what the parents have, what the, the coaches have. If there is a seven-year-old girl and a boy and it goes to chess coach, a chess coach would say to a girl that, wow, you're so talented, you're great, you can become women's world champion. And to a same talented boy, they would say that, wow, you can become like Magnus Carlsen and really the best of the best. But in reality, it would mean even though they, the coach wants to inspire both of them, the girl is inspired as if you would say that, there is a girl very talented. You say, you're going to have PhD. You're so smart, whatever you're going to be doing. And you would be telling to a boy that you're going to be a Nobel Prize winner in physics, you know? So this is the problem that many times the expectations from girls are much lower. And I think this, this means makes a lot of difference. Also parents, also mm. coaches, the society generally. And also in the sport, they're used to it, that there are girls and the open section. So I do hope that in the future, there are going to be more and more girls who are going to be playing chess and wants to be best at chess as a sport and not only between girls. Uh, regarding whether should it be or shouldn't be a ladies section, I think we cannot cut it for the moment. It has to be a transaction, it, transmission, and from year to year, there has to be a demand by the girls mm. that they want to compete in the sport with the best. Because I'm no expert on chess, certainly, but it doesn't strike me as there being any good reason why women should not compete at the, the same level as men. And yet, as you will know, you're the only woman who's ever been ranked in the top 10. There are currently none, I don't think, ranked in the top 100. Does that disparity even now surprise you? Or is, is, is that something you can easily ascribe to those cultural and structural um, flaws that you mentioned? I think maybe there is one lady, maybe Hui Fan might be in the top 100 now, but she's kind of half retired. Mm -hmm. The world champion is number 400, I think, in the world, which is very sad from my point of view, because it could be, they could be much better. But, um, well, I, I do believe that with time, it can be improved generally, that more ladies can be more competitive in the open section. I do really hope and I do quite a lot of steps to encourage girls and communities and the mindset of, of coaches and parents towards this. What's your pitch to people for taking up chess as well as your beyond playing chess for the joy of the game? Do you think being good at chess is actually a life skill that's useful in other areas of, of, of existence? Well, I think to be professional chess player, it is a something completely different story. It's the same thing with sports. If you do sports daily an hour, 
it's good for your health, but you will never become a top athlete. It's the same thing in chess. If you want to be a top athlete, I'm not sure necessarily it's very healthy, whether it's chess or it's any sport, right? When you do it all day long and you put all your effort to make and get the maximum out of uh, your potentials. So it's one thing to become a professional player and it's completely other thing to use chess. For example, chess is very much used in education. And uh, for that, I think it is something that every kid should be involved with and get uh, some basic information and use chess as a metaphor to life. And they can have developed everyday skills, which they can benefit from in every way. So that I really believe that every kid should be getting involved in the game. But uh, to go on professional level, you have to be very passionate about it. You have to be very much into love in the game and uh, you have to have that environment who supports you only then i think it uh, it is worth being a competitive player have you noticed within your world teaching people chess and sort of enthusing about chess that there has been a, a the queen's gambit effect Oh, the Queen's Gambit effect, it, is, it was amazing because, well, as a kid, when I heard about Queen's Gambit, it, you have to know that it's a chess opening. Mm. And, uh, but now, of course, it has a completely different meaning. And uh, I find it amazing, the series and the main role, uh, Beth Harmon. Anya Taylor-Jor was playing amazingly. I was thrilled by the fact that at least 95% of the chess scenes are completely sound and it fits to reality. Tell the readers of life how it feels and to be a girl among all those men. I don't mind it. Chess isn't always competitive. Chess can also be beautiful. It had an incredible positive impact on mm. chess. And we pulled in a lot of newcomers to the game of chess, a lot of people who stopped and they back long time ago played chess and now they took it again, they picked it up again. So last time when people were talking so much about chess, it was Fisher's Basket exactly 50 years ago. But that was the Cold War and that was seriously involved in politics, right? Mm. America against the Soviet Union. And this had nothing to do with politics. It was just a character movie, which was uh, incredibly amazing and fantastic. It was kind of funny that sometimes people called me up congratulating with me <laughs> for this series because they thought as, as the Anya Taylor-Joy best hormone won against the best man player, the world champion. And I did it in reality, but actually the series are completely fiction. I mean, leaving aside events like this weekend, do you, do you still play much now at any competitive level at all? No, actually, I'm not uh, competing since I retired. I, I was serious about it. <laughs> and uh, I do many other things. I have my foundation. We have our educational program, the Judith Bolger Method. I do the Global Chess Festival, promoting chess and many other activities, but I'm not competing on any level anymore. On the subject of that retirement in, in 2014, how does a chess player know when it's time? Obviously, for physical athletes, it's probably easier to tell you're not as quick as you once were, you're not as strong physically as you once were. How does a chess player know? I think it's different for everybody because, as you said, in physical sports, it's pretty obvious that eventually there is an age where you should stop or a little few years later, but generally it's clear. 
for chess players, it's not clear necessarily that you have to stop playing chess because it's a mental game. But for sure, uh, the game is getting younger and younger. And the reason is because, first of all, there are a lot of events. So you have to be ready with your mindset, being fit in your mind and physically as well to travel from one event to another, like in tennis, for example. You have to be extremely very prepared with your opening preparation and general preparation. You have to be ready to be very open-minded using technology engines and hmm. programs. You have to have good memory, good skills. To, you have to be very competitive also. And for that, you have to be extremely energetic as well. So when to stop, I think it's different for everybody. I stopped because I was more than three decades in competition. And I felt that with my foundation's activities and the things I started to do, I made more effect and more good for chess already out of the chessboard and on the chessboard. And uh, I think it differs for everybody. It's either they are not hungry that much anymore as a competitor, they start to have family, and that's why the priority is not hmm. that much anymore. When you're a, comp you're a top athlete, the priority number one, two, and three is only about competing well, being good timing for your form. Uh, and whatever you do, you do it in order to somehow get the best out of yourself in the competition. While with time, your mindset, your vision, your personality becomes more rounded and you have other mm -hmm. interests. And then when you lose your focus completely, then maybe you want to switch. Or if you, if you think that there are other things which interest you more. I asked earlier if you could quantify the difference between, say, the eighth best player in the world and the 800th best player in the world. I also wanted to ask the same question in, in the other direction, whether you ever reached any firm conclusions about where the difference is between a number eight and a number one. I realise that this is splitting hairs within hairs here because this obviously is people operating at a completely freakish level which the rest of us would never begin to comprehend. But is it possible to explain what that difference is? In one hand, there are very little differences. Mm. In other hand, you can call it also big differences. Because, uh, for example, my preparation in opening preparation, I started to develop the right direction in a pretty late age. And this was something was giving me a hard time during all my career compared to the level I was. Because in my, my middle game part, where you have to be creative and resourceful and calculating well and memory, that was the best part I was playing. The difference is, I think, between little bit maybe your mindset, whether how determined you are that you really, 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 really want to be the number one, what people are around you, how can you yourself make your strategy, long-term strategy that from, let's say, number eight, how you're going to be number one. And how much you can stay 100% focused for another 10 years after the first 15. Once you reach very nearly the pinnacle, well, to all intents and purposes, the pinnacle of a sport, and then you retire as sports people do at a, a pretty young age. Um, what ambitions do you still have now? Oh, I'm busier than ever, I can <laughs> say. <laughs> 
Uh, well, my ambition is uh, in professional way that uh, to promote the game in the in, in the educational systems. Like in Hungary, it's part of the optional subject, my uh, program. And uh, I'm a, an ambassador for chess in education. And I do believe that it's something very good for kids. And uh, we support each other with the very determined people in this uh, topic. So I'm doing a lot in order uh, to do this. I want to help uh, the mindset of parents and girls and the uh, gender issues, how to, to get the maximum out of their potentials. Uh, this is, this both are very important for me because I think it forms to better society and better way the children. And I'm not talking about specifically focusing on uh, competitive chess, but just generally as a human being, how to get better through chess and using chess. I do many of these chess activities always to make things better for the people who are involved and uh, to spread the, the information why chess can be very special for everybody who are amateurs or, or just to train your brain and whatever age group you are, it's, it's a great communication game between people. So those are my goals uh, generally. And otherwise I have two children. So I try to keep balance between work and family. Are you raising them as chess players? Oh, not at all. You <laughs> have heard of that already. <laughs> Just finally, while we have you here, the, the big news story in the world at the moment is obviously a conflict between two great chess playing nations, uh, Russia and Ukraine. Do you think this is something that chess should take a stand on as many other sporting bodies, many other corporations, in fact, pretty much everybody has. I know there's already been some moves made. The 2022 Chess Olympiad's been taken from Moscow. Uh, various sponsorships have terminated. I think um, Anatoly Karpov, who is now a member of the Russian Duma, has been, been stripped of his feeder life membership. Do you think that chess can play a part here? Well, first of all, it's heartbreaking news and experience, I think, what the whole world is experiencing due to this incredible uh, war invasion, what is happening now. I'm in contact with many of the Ukrainian chess players, and of course, chess connects us in bad ways as well. And of course, uh, with my foundation, and we are happy to help for uh, those who need, need help. I'm incredibly sorry for the Russian players, also those players and people who does not have to do anything to this whole thing. Mm. At the same time, of course, uh, unfortunately, the international body has to make some sanctions and some moves, which is practically hurts probably many of the players. It is simply a very, very, very sad story and uh, sport should be not affected by politics by any means, but unfortunately, when horrible things happen, it does affect all of us. But I still believe and I hope that uh, it will be recovery and, and for definitely I'm connected with, uh, with chess people and I'm, uh, I'm happy to help them if I can. Judith Polgar, thank you very much for joining me on The Big Interview on Monocle 24. That's it for this edition of The Big Interview. It was produced by Emma Searle and edited by Steph Chungu. From me, Andrew Muller, thanks very much for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.